lengthy passage, but we're going to uh, really kind of devour this piece by piece and see what we can learn from it. You know, the thing that, that I love, I love about expository preaching, that's just simply going through a book of the Bible passage by passage, sometimes verse by verse, is that it doesn't allow you to skip the uncomfortable or the difficult. You literally have to face-to-face with it. And so, of course, we don't always uh, teach or preach that style on Sundays but, or on Wednesdays, but I just felt impressed for a little while to just take some books of the Bible and just go through them because teaching's good. Amen? Uh, preaching, preaching, revelatory preaching, it, it motivates and inspires you, but uh, teaching informs you and equips you. God wants us to be equipped. He wants us to have the resources, the tools that we need to fight the adversary on every day, not just fight the adversary, but to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And so uh, we're just going to continue to break this down. Romans chapter 1, though, let's look at this together. Romans chapter 1, we're actually going to read verses 18 through verse 32. So quite quite a lengthy passage, but here we go. Paul writes, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and other creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Likewise, uh, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, uh, men with men committing which is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And then he goes on to say, and even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, uh, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only to those who do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Lord, tonight, I pray as a surgeon takes a scalpel and he carefully dissects the wound of a patient. Lord, tonight, I pray that you would help me by the unction of the Holy Spirit, be able to take Uh, Lord, what you've given me in study and prayer and dissect this passage for these people tonight. Lord, let not a word or thought be of my own opinion, but Lord, let it be straight from the Scripture, speaking for itself the wonderful mysteries and truths of your Word. God, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, Tonight, we're going to continue on this series, Chains. We've been starting the book of Romans. Last week, we preached about the power of the gospel. 
and the Apostle Paul, how he was in Corinth, and he wrote uh, this letter to the church at Corinth because he had such a strong desire to go and minister to them. He really, really had a passion to get there. God had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That simply means he was called and set apart as a messenger to the Gentiles. The apostle Peter was sent to the Jews. Paul was sent out to the Gentiles. And he had this passion and desire to get to Rome. He even prayed in the book of Acts that God would allow him to go to Rome. And the end of our uh, teaching last week, I told you that Paul got there for free. He didn't have to pay for that mission trip. The, uh, the, the government of Rome, uh, pretty much they sent him on trial and he got there and he ended up being arrested there. And uh, history tells us he even died there under uh, the, the reign of Nero, uh, beheaded. But, um, but Paul wrote this actually before he had even set foot in Rome. He just had a passion and a desire to be able to get there. But tonight, I want to kick into a little bit of, uh, of a different gear. This is the same chapter. It's really not a divorced thought. The thought runs together. But Paul, in the first half of Romans 1, is talking about the power of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the barbarian and to all those who believe. Paul was talking about the gospel is transformative. It changes lives. That's why he was passionate to get there. Paul had been changed, and he knew that nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ could change a person, no matter how wicked or how far away they seemed to be. Paul knew that it was the gospel of Jesus Christ that could change man's heart. So we find that Paul begins to write this, the first half of the chapter, and he's talking about uh, the power of God. And then it seems like he shifts thought totally, and Paul starts talking about not the power of God to salvation, but now he's talking about the wrath of God. And we like talking about the power of God, but we don't really like talking about the wrath of God, right? It gets kind of uncomfortable. People don't really like to talk about it. But Paul just dove head in because Paul was dealing with something that he knew he needed to get to and deal with one-on-one. And so tonight, I want to take from several verses in this passage, Romans 1, 18 through 32. And I've entitled this message tonight, God Gave Them Up. God gave them up. I want to ask you a question tonight. What does it look like when a nation turns its back on God? What does it look like when a nation turns its back on God? When a nation loses its literal moral footing? When its moral compass goes off of the scripture and the the personhood of Christ and redemption, and a nation shifts its eyes to other idols and other things, what does it look like when a nation turns its back on God? The only thing that is certain in all of that scenario is destruction. Solomon said this. He said, the nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell. It's just utter destruction when a nation turns their back on righteousness and morality and chooses to go their own way. What happens is that that nation just falls away. History tells us that Rome was such a place, such a place that had had at one time turned their back on God. Paul was dealing with this in his day because of some of the horrific things that were happening. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But there were some terrible, terrible things that were happening in Rome. But then later on in history, uh, in modern history, after Rome had experienced uh, an expansive move of the gospel that had happened in all of the western areas of Europe and in that area, Rome became a post-Christian nation and turned its back on God and 
fell. The, call it the crumbling of the Roman Empire. You can study about that in history. But what was it about Rome that was so different? Rome had a witness of God, but then Rome became one of the greatest polytheistic uh, places of worship in that part of the world. What is polytheism? Monotheism is the worship of one God, right? We worship one God in Christianity. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. Uh, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One. But you've got other religions like, um, like Hinduism, for instance. Hinduism has many different gods. There's a rain god, and there's a sun god, and there's a tsunami god, and there's the god of wrath, and the god of thunder. And if you think that there's a possibility of there being a God, you can make up one, and Hinduism probably has one. Um, Rome was no different. In Rome, in the center of it is what is called, it's still there, it's called the Pantheon. The Pantheon was a temple to all of these gods. When you go into the Pantheon, I've, I've been privileged to go there, when you actually go in and look in this big cathedral-like dome, there are shelves, thousands of little shelves that are built into that place where somebody could put an idol there. And in the days of Christ, and even in the days of Paul, and even in more uh, recent time, uh, it was a place of worshiping multiple gods. There was the God of sensuality, the God of fertility, all of these things. And so Rome had gotten away from really just worshiping the one true God and started worshiping many other gods. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, when a person turns away from God, what happens is, is that all other types of evil begin to enter into your life. Because when you remove the Lord as the moral compass and the guidepost which by you live your life, if you remove that, all bets are off. All the stops are removed. And anything is allowed to come in. And so Rome experienced all type of stuff uh, in ancient Rome. By the way, let me stop right here. Uh, we look at all the sin that happens in the world today, and we think all of this stuff just, just happened to be created recently. Oh, no, honey. Let me tell you something. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Listen, the most debased uh, deplorable things that you can possibly think of and imagine in your mind has happened at some time in human history. I mean, uh, there's, there's a reason why God flooded the entire earth in Genesis chapter 6. There's a reason why Sodom and Gomorrah was rained down with fire and brimstone. That, I mean, that, all of the things that you possibly could think of has happened, but it's our modern technology and the internet that's given us such a wide open preview to things at such a fast rate. We hear about it more, but it doesn't mean that it's never happened. It's just so the way that cultures go when they turn their back on God. So Rome had developed a polytheistic uh, mindset. So you just pick a God of your choosing. You got whatever you want to worship. And abortion, right? We think this is a modern day issue. Abortion was savage in ancient Rome. It's still savage today. Thank God for legislation that's, uh, at least on the federal level, that's put a stop to uh, the, some of the, or the state level that's put a stop to a lot of that. But um, abortion was so savage in, in ancient Rome, in the days of Christ and even in the days of Paul. Um, if a woman was to, to get pregnant and her husband wanted to, to abort that baby, she didn't have any choice, just was able to do that. Uh, if there was an affair and an affair needed to be covered up, it was just seen as a simple little uh, 
con contraceptive. That's what it was seen as. Um, it wasn't morally looked down upon. It was something that was privately celebrated. And so it was very barbaric in those days. Okay? Now, after this, on the hills of Rome, homosexuality became uh, very prominent. Now, this is Wednesday night. If your children are not where they need to be, that's not my fault. That's yours. Uh, I would not say what I'm about to say on a Sunday morning. But uh, what I'm going to tell you is that in ancient Rome, here's how uh, debased the mind was. Homosexuality was not only uh, tolerated in many forms, it was celebrated. Uh, a man, for instance, if a man had more desire, let's just say a married man, okay? And I'm going to be very G-rated with this. If a man had more desire than his wife could accommodate, that the culture was okay with that man sodomizing a, a, not only another man, but also a male child. And listen, this is how gross it was. The man who was the dominant one in the relationship was not considered homosexual. So, that all of this deplorable stuff was happening in Rome, and Paul knew about it, and Paul's writing to them. I'm giving you the backdrop of Romans chapter 1. Here's what Paul's writing. So, it, it repeated itself in Paul's day, but then it also, fast forward, happened again in modern culture, which caused the collapse of the nation. Now, I just want to say this. Isn't it, doesn't it sound familiar? It was a couple, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I preached about the, the Rome pattern with, with America. America was actually built and patterned a lot off of Rome. If you go to Washington, D.C., our buildings, our Senate, so much stuff. And what does America happen? We've turned away from God. We've allowed abortion. And then we've got all of this perversion that's happened. And we've seen the moral decay of the nation. The Bible describes this gradual um, debauchery that happens when a nation turns their face against God, okay? That's what happens. Society just deemed all of that stuff was acceptable, and that's what was in Roman culture. Paul was dealing with that. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something tonight from Scripture that's going to jar some of you a little bit. But if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be doing my job. I heard a well-known televangelist uh, some time ago make a statement he said, God will never give up on you. I also heard a gospel song uh, called He's Able, and his song says, don't give up on God because he won't give up on you. But I want to ask you the question, as great as that sounds, is that really what the Scripture teaches? I think we need to view that Scripture, or that phrase rather, in context, God won't give up on you, in the context of ways to be meant and not what the scripture says because contrary to what we believe the bible tells us in both the old testament and in the new testament that there comes a point when man's rejection is so bad god will abandon them to their own wants and desires that's what the Bible says. We're going to look at those scriptures tonight. Okay? First of all, the Old Testament tells us in Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 they put that up on the screen, but the background is God looks down from the heavens and he sees that the whole earth has lost its ever-loving mind. 
Genesis paints the background of, of, of um, the sons of God intermingling with the daughters of men. They're giants on the, in the land, the Nephilim. And you, there's various different accounts of what that really was. But I think if you read it, you'll get a good understanding. But God looked down and said, every man's heart, every man's heart was filled with wickedness continually. And he only found one righteous man, Noah and his family. And so God literally wiped out the entire earth with a flood except for the animals that were on the ark and Noah's family. And here's what Genesis chapter 6, verse 3 says. Are you ready? And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years old. The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Uh, it's evident what he meant by that, by the latter passage of, of uh, Genesis chapter 6, because he started over. The Bible is so strong in its language. It says, and the Lord repented that he made man. That is strong language. The word repent there simply means to change his mind. God was like, uh, bad idea. Start it over. He's God. He can do that. That's what the scripture said. I didn't make it up. He repented that he made man. You say, well, pastor, is there any other place in the Bible that talks about this? Sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, who also wrote the book of Romans, tells us about a brother in the church of Corinth that was sinning in such a significant sexual manner. This wasn't a oops. It wasn't a uh-oh. It wasn't a one-time. He was living in such a debased state. He was having sexual relations with his mother. His father's wife is what the scripture actually says. It could be his mother, stepmother, whatever, whatever it was. It was sicko stuff. And the apostle Paul heard about it. And he said, hey, your boasting is not good. In other words, people in the church were saying, we know what they're doing. And everybody was smiling about it. And nobody said a word. Paul said, a little leaven, like, like baking a loaf of bread, a little bit of yeast leavens the whole lump. You better purge that out or it's going to spread like wildfire. And they went to this man and Paul, he would not repent. He wouldn't. The leaders of the church, according to the passage of Corinth and according to the, the laws of God on addressing these types of things, he wouldn't repent. So you know what Paul said? This is strong. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 through 5. Here's the Apostle Paul. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, deliver such a one for, to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul, his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know if you just read that. Let's rewind that. 1 Corinthians 5 and uh, verse 4, he says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, meaning in your church gathering, when you're gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul literally told the church, you got to excommunicate this man. If he won't repent, he doesn't want to be a Christian. He's influencing the young people. He's causing sexual immorality to run rampant. He says, you need to, if he wants to live for the devil, let the devil have him. That was Paul's words. But listen, it wasn't so that he could be lost. Notice the rest of it. That his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because when you enable, listen, there's a difference between helping somebody in sin and enabling their sin. 
right? We're not talking about kicking people when they're down, one strike, you're out. This man was causing issues, and he would not turn his life around. And Paul said, you got to put him out. People say, and I preached a message on this some Wednesday nights ago, didn't I? I asked the question, well, God, is it ever okay to kick somebody out of church? Well, it should be a last resort. But Paul said it was okay, and certainly the Lord did, because it was a very, very extenuating circumstance. But I got good news. In 2 Corinthians, this man who they put out repented. And Paul said, now receive him back as a brother and quit talking about it. Hello. But what Paul was trying to say, we turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. He, hopefully, if he wants to live in that type of sin, he'll get to the end of himself like the prodigal son, and hopefully he'll snap out of it. That's what he said. I didn't say it, but God said, turn him over. Okay? Then, in the passage we read tonight, Paul uses this terminology of the Lord over and over and over again. Three different times in such a short period. He says, for God gave them up, God gave them over, and God gave them to. God literally turned them over to themselves. So tonight, I want us to break this passage down, and I want us to look at it. Now listen, what I'm not telling you tonight is that when you sin and you mess up and you make a mistake, God's giving up on you. No, as long as you have a heart towards God, God's going to have a heart towards you, and he's going to keep working with you, and he's going to keep convicting you, and he's going to keep pulling on you. But if you keep saying no to God, no, I don't want this. I keep suppressing the truth. I'm pushing back my conscience. You're coming to a point where it's very dangerous, and God will just let you be in his justice, in his mercy, because God honors our free will. He's sovereign. He has predestined certain plans and things to happen. But he also honors our free will. And he'll let us just have our own little merry way. He'll have us make our own little mess. You know, the old saying says, if you give somebody enough rope, they'll eventually hang themselves. And that's what God will do if you just want to push him out of your life. He'll say, here you go. All right? So let's look tonight at our text. The first thing that we see, if you're a note taker, is this. Number one, we see man's ultimate rebellion towards God. We see man's rebellion towards God. Go back with me to our passage, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. God says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Notice this, who suppress the truth in righteousness. Does anybody know what it means to suppress something? If your immune system is suppressed, it is being squelched, squashed, and pushed down. It's there, but you are choosing to resist it. You are choosing to push it away, and it is becoming weakened. Now, listen to what he says here. He says, these men, the wrath of God is against them because they are suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. Literally, their lifestyle that they're living is causing the truth of God to be quieted in their ears. And literally, Paul says it like this, their conscience is being seared like a hot iron. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. But notice this, it says, because what may be known of God is manifest uh, in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, listen, we could say God's unjust in his treatment to these people, but Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 tell us that God has shown himself to these people. His truth is in them. They acknowledge the creator. They know who he is, but yet they choose not to follow 
How do we know that? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. God's saying, listen, you don't think I exist? Look at the trees, look at the clouds, look at the planets, look at the stars, look at everything that exists and sways in the wind. It literally is proof that I exist. Listen, uh, people in, around the world may not know the name of Jesus Christ, but even a lot of religions in places where people are unreached are smart enough to know that there's a creator because they're not like these dummies that we have in America. The Bible says the fool says in his heart there's no God. They don't believe that something just shook up one day and we've got all this. There had to be something intelligent to design the world, to design the human body, to heal itself, and to design reproduction and design everything that functions the way that it is. And so God has revealed it. He's trying to prove himself, but yet these people continue to suppress the truth because creation has even revealed these things to them. Even his eternal power and Godhead, notice the rest of this, so that they are without, say it, excuse. God said they're without excuse. They're without excuse. They're going to know. But they, that's what they did. Man rebelled against God. Second thing, and I kind of tied into it a little bit already, we see man's revelation of God because God from the beginning has been showing himself to mankind. You know, God has not hidden himself from us. God has revealed himself to us. God wants a relationship with man. It was a whole purpose of sending Jesus to the earth to die, to, to be the sin offering, to be the perfect lamb that would take away the sins of the world. That's why he came. God doesn't want to be apart from man. He doesn't want to punish man eternally forever. That's not his nature, but his holiness demands such a thing. His righteousness demands such a thing. But God's ultimate plan and desire was that he wanted to have relationship with man, so he revealed himself to man. But yet man wouldn't do it. They just kept repressing the truth. Here's a progression. We're going to see this. Here's the third thing. We see man's rejection of God, man's rejection of God. Notice this, verse 21, because although they knew God, you see that? Verse 21, although because they knew God, what happens? They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Stop right there. Man... Not only did man rebel against God, but they just outright rejected him. They refused, refused to give him glory. They refused to give him what was due his name. Notice this. Look, look what he says here. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were they thankful. Their attitude towards God. The attitude that should be, I'm thankful that you've given me life. I'm thankful that you've given me salvation. The attitude that I'm thankful that you've given me purpose. No, no, no. But they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see what happens when you keep pushing the Holy Spirit away? See what happens when you keep pushing God away? See what happens when you want to live in sin and you're bound and determined to, to just go that way? The Bible says their foolish hearts became darkened. Now, what you notice, this isn't God doing this to them at this, at this point. At this point, this is their choice. 
and that's hard for us to, to manage sometimes because Hallmark says everybody goes to heaven and everybody loves Jesus. But the truth is, is that he lets us make a choice. And if you want to reject him and you don't want to serve him, what makes us think you're going to go to heaven when you die if you don't want to serve him when you're here on the earth alive? You're going to be miserable worshiping Jesus for all eternity if you didn't want to have anything to do with him on the earth. God's not like that. He'll let you make your own choice. Salvation's a, a, the Spirit draws us. He, he, he's, he wants us to be saved. All can be saved, but we have to make the choice. It's man's free will wrestling with God's predestination. It's, it's a beautiful marriage that, that is confusing on the surface, but it's beautiful when you look at it because Jesus is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and he wants man to be saved, but he says, hey, you want to have your own way? Have your own way. So what happened? Their hearts became darkened. They became darkened. And then what else does he say? Uh, professing uh, to be wise, they became fools. Rome was a very educated place. A lot of the liberal arts, a lot of the various things that even we see and do today comes out of Rome. Rome had the Colosseums. Rome had the art galleries. Rome had the beautiful, pristine buildings. They had all these things, and, and people began to really revel in their education and their stature, and, and they got so smart. Here's how I want to tell you tonight. They got so smart that they thought they didn't need God anymore. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. So smart, they became stupid. That's what the Bible says. And then notice what it says. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You go to Rome today, it's full of statues, gargoyles, and you go to the Vatican, it's kind of creepy. There's gargoyles everywhere and little demon-looking things and you go to the Roman Forum out in the middle of uh, uh, the city there. There's all types of statues of, of kings and, and all of these prestigious things. And me, you and I look at that and we go, oh, that's cute or whatever. But no, no, no. Those were significant parts of historical worship. They represent different gods. They, Zeus. And you've got all of the Greek mythology that ties with that part of the world. And I mean, that's what Paul's saying here. Once they started getting away from God and started saying, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care about the truth. I'm going to deny the conviction. Then I start allowing other gods to come in. All types of things happen. My mind gets dark. I become smart. Therefore, I become more stupid. And now I start worshiping idols. Idols. I wonder if there's any idols in America today. Interesting. It's amazing. One of the most popular shows at one time was called American Idol. And Apple products are iPhone, iPad, iMac, I, Apple, you know, all, all every I, I, I. Selfies, me. Self is a big God. But we change the image of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Oh, this is, this is bad. This is bad. And creeping things. Okay? So let's, let's go a little further here. We see man's rebellion. We see man's revelation. We see man's rejection. But here's number four. We see man's reaction to God. His reaction to God is bringing substitutions. Here's the idols. 
I don't want to worship you. I don't want to worship your way. So I'll find me a God that fits my beliefs. Do you know what that's called? In its, in its rawest form, it's called humanism. Self is God. You just, make, you just make a God, whatever you want to be. Sports, hobbies, whatever, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But they can become a replacement to God. See, we think a lot of times because we don't have those granite statues that we bow down to, maybe we don't kiss a, a ring on, on a statue, or maybe we don't rub the head of a statue like they do in some cultures. So we would think, oh, we don't have any idols. You know, you go to the Chinese restaurant, right? You got the little cat that's waving his arm. You know, that's, that's out of Buddhism, right? That's, that's a, a thing that's involved with their worship. We think, oh, we don't have none of that. Oh, yeah, we do. We do. We have those things. Man's reaction to God was to replace him replaced him with things, and notice this, the Bible says they worshiped the creation more than they worshiped the creator. See, creation is supposed to point back to God. Creation testifies. Creation glorifies God. But no, 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 that's not what they did in ancient Rome. They, they worshiped the creation more than the creator. So then it leads us to this final step. Not only do we see man's reaction to God, but number five, we see man's removal from God. Man's removal from God. Because of this progression, this spiral of God trying to reach them, of God trying to show them the truth, of the suppression, of the idolatry, of all of those things, the Bible says God gave them up to their own perversions. He gave them up to their vile things that they would do. Let's read this together. We need, we need to read this. All right. Uh, so, right here. Uh, verse 24. He says, Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the, cre the creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So there's the first God gave them up. And here's the second one in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Okay? You hearing me? Now, look at this. For even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. What's that mean? Hello. Women with women. People want to argue the New Testament doesn't really talk about homosexuality. Hello. It does. He said, for this reason, the, the woman, God gave them up for even the women exchanged the natural use. Notice this. Notice this. I did not say this. The Bible did. For that which is what? It's against nature. It's not normal. Um, okay, but then here's what else he said. Let's go in and read that down a little bit further. Is that which is against nature. Uh, but then he said, likewise, the men with the men. Okay, he says, likewise, the men with the men, leaving the natural use of the woman and burned in their lust one for another. Notice this, men with men committing what is shameful. Now, I didn't write this. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't hate homosexuals no more than he hates heterosexual sinners. 
okay? It's not like a sexual or a, a special category of sin where you're off the hook because your sin's lesser. No, God, God really doesn't like either one of them, and both of them will separate you from God eternally. But, but here's the thing, though. Don't, don't miss this. It is a special category, though, because the Bible calls it an abomination. And the reason why it's an abomination is because it spits in the face of God's creative design. He said it is against nature. It's unnatural. And notice here, he says this. He says, men with men committing what is, what's the word he used? Shameful. There's not very much more today people are ashamed of, is there? We live in such an unbashful culture. So God said that type of stuff is what? Shameful. Now, all right, buckle your pew belt. What's the opposite of shameful? Anybody? Prideful. Prideful. God said this is shameful. But isn't it interesting? The month they designate to celebrate this type of debauchery out in the open. You go to the mall, and it's amazing. From one day to the next, at the change of the month, you go to the mall at the end of this month and go on the first of, of, of Pride Month, and everything is changed into rainbows and unicorns. The White House, even under previous administration a time or two, has been lit up like a bag of Skittles, rainbow Skittles. Taste the rainbow. Culture screams tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. See, our nation has shed so much innocent blood with abortion, and now we've had the legislation of what God calls shameful, right? And people are so debased in their mind. I have known Christian, quote, unquote, people who've defended gay pride marches. And in this nation, there are, quote, unquote, gay churches who are celebrated and centered around celebrating shamefulness. Why do they get so tight in here? I thought y'all was holiness Pentecostals. Started to get worried for a second. We got skeletons in the closet. Hello, what's going on here? 20 years ago, you would have been shouted down preaching like this. But notice, pride festivals where, where groups of people are, and, and tax dollars are spent. You think your tax dollars are just being sent to Planned Parenthood? You're wrong. Who paid for the pride flag out in front of the White House? All right, now. So get this. We parade our stuff out in the streets and poke our finger in the face of God. And we say, we're loud and we're proud. And God says, nope, it's shameful. And notice what he says. And receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Whew. But even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Let me just tell you something. Two men don't fit together. 
Go to the next verse. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. There are whisperers, uh, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unworthy, unloving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, they know that it's wrong. That's why they hate God so much. That those who practice such things are deserving of death. Hold on. That, that's not talking about stoning people like they did in the Old Testament. The, the connotation there is spiritual death. And then notice this. Not only do those who do the same, but also those who approve of those who practice them. Better be careful what you put your stamp of approval on. In the voting booth and in person. Because you're saying, hey, it's okay. You ain't got to change. Listen, unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional acceptance. God loves unconditional. He don't accept unconditional. He demands a change. Be holy for I'm holy. But he said, this is how serious it is. Man's removal from God is literally God taking his hand off And I'm going to tell you something tonight that you can chew on this week. But this is the scripture, not my words. In this passage, God didn't judge them in Romans chapter 1 for their homosexuality. The homosexuality was their judgment. It was the ultimate. That's what they turned to. When God completely removed his hand off of them, he gave them over. And now, guess what? It's so far now in our nation that it's legal in some places. Thank God we still live in a conservative, for the most part, state. That it's legal in some places in the United States Union of our our great nation for your teacher of your child at their school to, to talk to them about, well, I don't feel like a boy anymore, or I don't feel like a girl anymore. I want to be a cat. You know, there, there's, there's, in Ohio, there are high schools in Ohio that have litter boxes in the girls' bathroom. Now, folks, how far have we fallen? You know, the I probably better stop. The ultimate atheistic society, the scientists and all of the gurus who don't believe in God, you know, they said, oh, but, but man didn't come from God. There was no intelligent design that we involved from monkeys. Sometimes we sure act like it. This mess right here is like it. And you got men who don't know their men, women who don't know their women, and they're teaching it in our schools You've got drag queens reading story time books to children in the public libraries. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what happens when a nation turns their back on God and God takes his hand off. It's what happens. It happened to Rome. 
pray to God. It, 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 listen, this, you, you would have to be Ray Charles times 30 to say, that ain't happening in America. Yes, it is. Listen, I'm not telling you there's not Christians in America. I'm not telling you there's not some red-hot revivals going on in America. But I'm talking about as a whole, this is the pattern that we have. I say we, not me, but God's always got a remnant, and I want to be a part of the remnant. But there's always the majority seem to be going this way, and that's what happens. But anyway, I'm going to get off of that. But here's the thing, though. This is why Paul was so passionate to get there. Paul was so passionate to get there because he knew this was going on among these people and this was some of the cultural things that they were dealing with. And folks, so we talk about the Bible, some people say it's an archaic book and it's not that relevant. It's pretty relevant. Because when you look at our culture, you see a lot of the same stuff today. Now, now thank God. Listen, I know people who have been homosexual, who are now straight and God's delivered them. I know people who are, were homosexual and, and, and they've chosen to remain a celibate life because they say, you know, I, I'm going to give that up. I still don't feel like I'm attracted to the opposite sex, but they've chosen to live a holy life. Listen, God, God can deliver that too. And he can and he will. And he'll continue to do those things. But as a nation, though, this is how perversion happens from the rejecting of God, pushing away, gathering idols, allowing all types of things to come in. And God says it's just all types of manner of unholiness that just happens. We live in such a conservative area. Go to San Francisco during Pride Month where they're doing whatever out in the street. In the street. And the police do nothing about it. It's America. We need God. We need revival. We need the church to wake up. We need the church to pray. We need the church to preach to their coworkers. We need the church to invite people to church and to invite them to relationship with God because the only hope of the world, Paul hit it in the first chapter, the first half, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. I tell you, only the gospel can change this right here. That's it. He can take a heart of stone, and man, he can turn it into a heart of flesh. A black heart, he can make it white as snow.